nowadays, just because their aesthetic goals tend to be a little bit more important and they place aesthetics a little bit higher on the list than they did, let's say, 40 or 50 years ago. I feel like breast cancer uh, reconstruction, therefore, needs to perform at that same level. Welcome to More Life. Our guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Sterling Craig, and she's a plastic and reconstructive surgeon at Hartford HealthCare's Cancer Institute at St. Vincent's Medical Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And welcome, Dr. Craig. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, let's start off by having you tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I completed my plastic surgery residency here in Connecticut at Yale. And then I spent a year down in Houston at MD Anderson, which is a cancer hospital there, learning about different ways to reconstruct cancer patients, specifically using a microscope, and that's called microsurgery. So I kind of do plastic surgery, but more specifically why Hartford Health brought me on board was to help develop and nurture the microsurgery aspect of plastic surgery. Yes, and I can't wait to get into more about microsurgery because so far you're the only person in the system to be able to offer this procedure, correct? Correct. So they brought me on board to help develop this. And as it is growing, we will work to hire and recruit or train existing plastic surgeons to be able to offer this surgery at all of the sites. Wonderful. And we're going to get into what microsurgery is all about. But um, I'd just like to start off being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Over the course of the month, of course, we see and hear a lot about the importance of screening, which we'll definitely touch upon that too. But in this episode, we'd like to take the listeners a little beyond that and touch upon what happens next. What if they find something? And Leah is a very scary prognosis for someone. And can you tell us, you know, what does happen next? What percentage of patients diagnosed will require plastic surgery? Sure. So usually what happens is everybody has hopefully their annual mammogram. And sometimes if the radiologist sees something that looks a little bit obscure, or sometimes it can just be that they cannot see it that well entirely, they'll order an additional image such as an ultrasound. And that allows them to look at that area that looks sort of vague in more detail. And then if it looks even more concerning, then they will usually do a biopsy. It may not be that day. It may be another day, depending on their schedule. And then the biopsy will confirm that diagnosis. Once the patient has been diagnosed with breast cancer, they will be immediately teamed up with a breast surgeon. And here we have Dr. Killily and Dr. Brutus, who are breast fellowship trained breast surgeons, and the only scope of their practice is breast. And they will talk to them to, about their diagnosis and then the next steps that may or may not include surgery, chemotherapy, or radiation. And then those three aspects sometimes go in different orders. Sometimes surgery goes first, sometimes chemo goes first. And then usually the breast surgeon almost always will have them meet with a breast reconstructive surgeon or a plastic surgeon such as myself, and we will talk to them about their options. And usually women do have more than one choice in terms of the reconstructive type of surgery, and that largely depends on what their aesthetic goals are. 
And the breast reconstructive surgeon's main job is to work with the oncology team, the breast surgery team, and the radiation oncology team to make sure that their reconstructive surgery doesn't interfere with any treatment, but works hand-in-hand with their treatment timeline. Truly multidisciplinary team. Yes, exactly. You know, I read somewhere, Dr. Craig, that fewer than a quarter women receive the necessary information about their breast reconstruction should they need it. And I know this podcast is a start, but what more can we do to change that to make sure women are getting the information they really need when it comes to reconstruction? I think educating in general the public and healthcare providers about the advancement of breast reconstruction and the techniques and the growing trend towards providing immediate reconstruction A lot of times women, I think, uh, understandably, are overwhelmed with the diagnosis and it's too much for them at that time. And that's perfectly Mm -hmm. understandable. Mm -hmm. But you don't want them to be uninformed. And sometimes you do see once they've been treated, they come back and they say, you know, it was just too much for me at that time. That's perfectly fine, too. You don't have to undergo breast reconstruction at the time of surgery if you don't want to. It is just largely the majority of patients do undergo immediate reconstruction nowadays um, just because their aesthetic goals tend to be a little bit more important, I guess, and they place aesthetics a little bit higher on the list Mm -hmm. than they did, let's say, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. I feel like as a society in general, you know, there's so much more emphasis placed on how we look and how we uh, interact in the public. And I think breast cancer uh, reconstruction, therefore, needs to perform at that same uh, level. Yeah. And you mentioned 40, 50 years ago, and just looking back how far we've come with the procedures that are available, where if you go back that far, I recall women often opting for, you know, more of a prosthetic or a bra, they would opt for that instead of surgery. Exactly. Right? You're, you're exactly right. So the, not only has, has the treatment evolved, thankfully, over time, the surgery has and the reconstructive surgery also has. And that's how we're able to offer safe options for patients to undergo immediate reconstruction, you know, at the time of either their lumpectomy or their mastectomy. Sure. And I really find it such a benefit that women can choose to either kind of get it all done in one fell swoop, or if that's, you know, just for, like you said, for aesthetic reasons, or just for managing life, you know, reasons. Or if you really want to take your time, that's an option too. Absolutely. So the fortunate thing about our country is that there's an act in the Constitution that allows the or mandates that the insurance will cover their reconstructive surgery at any time point. And I have had patients come back, you know, three or four years later. Sometimes you have way too much going on at that time. And it's, like I said, too overwhelming. And they table it for a time when, you know, things are settled. They've survived the treatment and they're doing great and now they're able to sort of mentally take on another the next challenge which would be you know putting themselves mentally I think and physically back together and that's so interesting I'd never considered that 
insurance factor. Yes. That it will be covered. Insurance drives everything nowadays, right? <laughs> right. It does. I mean, yeah. we kind of have to sometimes plan our lives around it or our procedures, yeah. worse yet. Yeah. So let's get into some of those options. I know you're very, you have extensive experience in these advanced techniques, such as microsurgery. Can you explain what some of the highlights and what are the benefits of this new technology? Sure. So microsurgery simply means that we use a microscope to transplant tissue from one aspect or location of our body to the next. So a lot of breast cancer patients are women and women genetically carry fat kind of in between the belly button and the pubic area, in particular if you have had children. Mm -hmm. So we utilize that extra fat and we actually transplant it to the breast and then we use a microscope to reconnect the blood vessels so that the tissue that we've now moved to the breast has its own blood supply and will withstand the test of time and any other treatment that they may or may not need. And then the area where we take the fat from we then pull that down nice and flat to provide them with more aesthetic kind of abdominal area, quote-unquote tummy tuck. Right, and you just answered my next two questions because my I was going to ask where does the tissue come from? So typically in that lower belly area, and then, yes. and then you take care of the scarring uh, simultaneously. Exactly. We can get the tissue from a lot of different places on our body, but the area that is most commonly used just because most women carry the fat there mm-hmm. is the lower abdomen. We can get it from the inner thigh, the buttock area, the back, a lot of different places. Oh, okay. But most women's sort of problem area in terms of fat that they don't want, um, that they don't like, that they would like to see gone um, is the lower abdomen. Okay. That's fascinating. And are, mo- are most of these surgeries typically done in a hospital setting? They can be done in uh, nowadays any type of setting, actually, but traditionally it is in a hospital setting. We are working with our anesthesiologists to provide the level of comfort where these patients could go to a 23-hour sort of ambulatory surgery mm-hmm. uh, center because in general, breast cancer patients are healthy and um, don't necessarily need all of the bells and whistles that a hospital provides. So we're working towards being able to offer the same type of surgery with the ease and convenience of having it be at a surgery center. Oh, that is great news. Um, Speaking of anesthesia, I've learned a lot about nerve blocking anesthesia. Is, Is that an option for these types of surgery? Yes. So nerve blocks have come a really long way, even in the past five years. Yes. Um, and in my opinion, are the key to taking breast reconstruction to that next step because these surgeries should not be uncomfortable and um, it's not nearly uh, involved in terms of the nerve supply that, that, for example, a broken bone does. And nerve blocks are performed routinely with orthopedic surgeries with good effects. So we're uh, utilizing them more and more for the patient's benefit so that afterwards the patients don't require narcotics. I I can't remember the last time I even prescribed narcotics, which is 
kind of the necessary growing trend to ending the opioid epidemic is getting rid of narcotics and utilizing our anesthesia colleagues to help us in that fight. And it, this is just such a fascinating topic in itself. Um, one of our earlier episodes featured Dr. Teresa Bowling, who mm-hmm. is also at St. Vincent's Medical Center, who specializes in this. And we will be sure to link that podcast episode in the notes of this one, because if you want to learn more about nerve blocking, it's, it's fascinating. So she has been the key to us taking the breast reconstruction to the next level because she has really been innovative and out-of-the-box thinking with regards to how can we take our breast cancer patients to the same level in terms of comfort that we do with these more traumatic injuries like orthopedic injuries. She's been phenomenal. Oh, that's great news. Dr. Craig, um, back to the importance of screening, especially during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, the, according to the National Cancer Institute, the pandemic really took a dangerous toll on cancer screenings, which will likely result in more future deaths or you know later diagnosis. So screenings such as mammograms are, just aren't something we can put off now. Absolutely. We need to get our patients back to the regular mammogram schedule and get get them out and screening. And if there's a problem with anybody getting into um, their mammogram, as I understand that a lot of the sites do have a significant backlog, mm-hmm. they should reach out to a breast center such as our own, and we can help facilitate that. Yes. And we'll include those links as well on where you can book your mammogram in uh, this episode's notes. Now, can you tell us about, again, what, you know, we'll get past the screening, um, something's found, someone's diagnosed with cancer and breast cancer, and what is that patient's journey to you? Can you give us a little roadmap there? Sure. So usually they'll meet with a breast surgeon first, and they will talk about what that diagnosis means in terms of their overall treatment and survival. And then the next appointment is usually with me. And again, it's really just meant as an educational appointment. Uh, We talk in general about options. We in no way make a decision because it can be quite overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And just reinforce with the patient that I'm there as their resource and their guide. I have no preference as to one type of reconstruction or even no reconstruction. I just want them to be informed that they have options and that what those options would likely result in in terms of aesthetic goal. Sure. And I just want to stress, so a patient uh, interested in going that route will not have to seek you out on their own, that they will be connected with their multidisciplinary team. All of their options will be presented. Yes. I mean, I do have patients reach out to me separately if they're looking for microsurgery in particular, but that doesn't mean that that's something that everybody would have to do. Usually their breast surgeon is there to guide them toward the breast reconstructive surgeon. Sure. And then you do so many other procedures that patients can find you for um, any number of procedures yes. other than breast reconstruction. Yes. Great. And we'll have your bio in, in uh, the notes here so you can really explore and get to know Dr. Craig. Now, um, Dr. Craig, do you have any webinars coming up on any topics? 
I think we just had one on microsurgery and we just had one on implants. So I think Teresa Bowling and I were actually talking about doing another one on how nerve blocks have really changed the way that breast reconstructive patients recover and the traditional sort of aches and pains of undergoing reconstruction really are, uh, in my opinion, a thing of the past. Oh, that's fantastic. So we'll keep our eyes and ears out for that and include a link to um, all of our free live webinars. And uh, Dr. Craig, thank you so much. We've learned a lot. And I love the thought that we can help get the word out there that there are options and there are some very advanced options that could be really game changers. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for the opportunity. To learn more about the Cancer Institute at St. Vincent's Medical Center and Dr. Elizabeth Sterling Craig, be sure to check the notes in this episode. For Hartford HealthCare, I'm Anne Pierre. Thanks for listening to More Life. I'm ready for my close-up. All the faces start to light up. You know I love this feeling. I got more life in my life. If you feel it, then you know. We can go anywhere we want to go. You're going to love this we got more life in our life Oh, I won't stop going No sign of slowing Now I know it I got more life in me oh, I wake up every morning I never stop moving I got more life in me oh, I won't forget this feeling I never stop dreaming I got more life life.